Hello and welcome to A Life More Wild. I'm Christopher Wilson-Elms from Canopy and Stars and I hope you've been enjoying the beautiful combination of post-lockdown freedom and a bit of spring sunshine. We certainly have as we've been back outdoors for Series 2 in the company of another selection of awesome guests. Throughout this series we'll be talking to rugby player turned yoga coach Richie Norton, radio presenter Gemma Kearney, Fern Cotton and a host of others about the part nature plays in their lives and work. Later on in this episode, we'll hear from Amira Patel, whose hiking and adventure group Wanderlust Women has given thousands of people a safe space to begin exploring the outdoors. But first, we're down in Devon, catching up with activist Ellen Miles as she takes a break from the city. It's nice to get your hands stuck into the dirt and to move something around. I'm feeling very joyful now, having done that. Ellen is the founder of Nature is a Human Right, through which she campaigns for access to nature to be recognised as a human right by the UN. Last year in lockdown, she also founded Dream Green, a social enterprise that's training the next, possibly the first, generation of guerrilla gardeners to transform their neighbourhoods. So join us as we shift a sapling and hear about her mission to make nature more accessible to everyone. We are at Southcombe Barn in Dartmoor. The birds are singing, the sun's just coming out. We're surrounded by the lovely moors with their wild ponies and we're gonna go dig up some saplings to plant them in a hedgerow. Okay, so we're just taking the wheelbarrow down the hill. We're just walking past a lovely patch of snowdrops on the left and an arch of trees coming above us as we walk towards where the saplings are. So I'm from East London and I still live there, so it's quite far for me to come out this way. I have been to Devon before, but not to Dartmoor, unfortunately. Although I will definitely be returning now that I've seen it. I'll have a look and try and see where some of the roots are because I don't want to sever them. It's probably at this point that it might be worth mentioning that I'm definitely not an expert gardener. so good to get your hands in the soil. There's all sorts of incredible bacteria and cultures inside soil that are ridiculously good for us. So there's something called Mycobacterium vacai, which is a natural antidepressant, and in some cases has been found to be as good as an antidepressant that you'd get from a doctor. And soil has something called geosmin in it, which is what gives it its petrichor smell, the smell of soil after rain, which lots of people say is their favourite smell. And again, that's linked to the fact that soil is really good for us. And humans are something like 200 times more sensitive to the smell of geosmin than sharks are to blood. It's something that we're attuned to, that we've evolved for, and it calms us. And they've done all sorts of tests and it's really a reviving smell um, and a calming and a relaxing and a mood enhancing smell for everyone, but in particular for women. digging up the first sapling now. There we go. Okay, it's just starting to come up the ground. Where are these roots going? Dream Green is an initiative I set up after I started the Nature is a Human Right campaign. Because the campaign basically is petitioning the United Nations to make access to nature a recognised human right. 
And that's obviously quite a long-term goal <laughs> and a very top-down goal. And I really believe in grassroots, ground-up change. So I wanted to take more immediate and tangible action to make my own neighbourhood greener. I tried working with councils and I tried various routes in to kind of have various greening initiatives happen, but I ended up just kind of planting things in bare patches of dirt around where I live, which is basically guerrilla gardening, which is kind of planting in public places with a purpose. It can be community mental health, it can be food sovereignty, whatever your purpose is. You know, it's going to be beneficial to people and planet, essentially. And lots of people became very interested in what I was doing, were asking me more about how they could get involved and how they could start doing it. And so I started Dream Green. It's a social enterprise that exists to basically educate and equip people to become gorilla gardeners like me. There's a sort of a hazy mire of legislation around what you can do and can't do with regards to you know, public planting in the UK. So I am trying to create this kind of contract between councils and their residents, their constituents, their communities that will allow these people to plant in their neighbourhood, essentially. So it's taking financial strain, time and effort off the councils while also kind of empowering communities, especially people that don't have their own garden, um, to be able to plant things and cultivate a little garden for the public. We've had a really positive response from Hackney, from Lambeth, who already kind of allow their residents to plant. Hackney in particular are quite encouraging of people planting in street tree beds, just as long as you follow a few simple rules in terms of not damaging the roots, <laughs> as I'm trying not to do now, and not piling the soil up and things like that, and not using kind of water-intensive plants that will detract from the tree, especially if it's a young one. The sapling really doesn't want to move. <laughs> it's really deeply rooted in, into its current home, but it's not wanted here and it'll get kind of out-competed if we keep it here, whereas it'd be very useful in the hedgerow. And then we'll allow the owners to have, you know, a nice native plant on the hedgerow rather than shipping something in or bringing something from elsewhere in the country. So I'm just going to put this uprooted sapling in the wheelbarrow and take it down to the stream in the valley where we're going to be replanting it along a hedgerow and find its new home. It's an amazing tree that's fallen on its side here that's got a swing coming off it and still, still um, green <laughs> despite being completely on its side. Its roots are in the air. I think some must be in the ground. So we're just heading downhill now, taking the wheelbarrow down to the stream, which is flowing down through this little valley and creating a natural pool somewhere. Right, so where are we planting? So we've made it down to the stream. We found uh, a great place for the sapling to put in along the hedgerow. There's a little gap um, that it would be great to fill, to thicken up a bit so it become a nice little nesting ground for birds. And so I'm just gonna dig a hole, big enough for the saplings to go in, and then we'll fill it back up again and water it in. There's lots of daffodil bulbs coming up. Um, so I'll try and put those to one side and put them back in again afterwards. Nice little companions. I think what defines gorilla gardening and what makes it cool is 
doing something meaningful for people and planet and doing something that we should be kind of promoting and not painting as this really dodgy kind of naughty thing to do but actually something that should be absolutely allowed and the best way to do that isn't by leaning into this kind of balaclava image but actually by just going out and doing it in the middle of the day and saying isn't this just a brilliant thing and I've been doing that and all the reactions have been incredibly positive I think we need to promote this idea of guerrilla gardening as being not about the individual being some kind of like cool rebel. It's not about us. It's about the impact. It's about the community. It's about what it's doing for people and for the world. Um, <laughs> and less about, you know, us trying to feel cool. And the coolness of it derives from the purpose and not from doing something naughty. Because it's not naughty. It's a brilliant thing. So I get asked a lot about my connection to nature. I think people assume, given that I'm working in kind of uh, nature, environmentalism, activism, all of this kind of thing and writing, that I have, have now and have always had this really deep, meaningful, soulful connection to nature and that that was the root of my work. Um, but actually that couldn't really be further from the case. I mean, I'm from Hackney in London, which is a very green borough and a green city, but it's still very urban. And the green spaces we do have are certainly not wild. And I, you know, grew up in this zeitgeist of, you know, the coming of age of the internet and mobile phones and all of these things where our lives became increasingly indoors. And I certainly was squirreled away indoors most summer holidays playing on my Game Boy. And I started nature as a human right not because I had this deep connection with nature but because I didn't and I felt very robbed of it and I became acutely aware of that during lockdowns um, when our need for green spaces became bigger than ever or became more manifest than ever and suddenly I felt this injustice despite you know having it much better than most people do and so I wanted to kind of speak up for that and I think when I start talking about my lack of connection to nature and the fact that this is something I'm only really just building now, I've been fearful in the past that it might have been slightly uninspiring or it's not what people want to hear. People want to hear this, you know, brilliantly lifelong, you know, bond. And that's what people expect from environmentalists, perhaps. But actually, I hope that, you know, it can be inspiring because it's more relatable for the millions, the billions of people who, like me, have grown up in a very urbanised environment and a very digitised environment, that this relationship can start at any point in life and you can begin your journey and your relationship with nature at any point and you can just get stuck in. You can do the things you love in nature. You don't have to just sit there and stare at a tree. You can bring a book or bring an instrument or write or draw or whatever it is that you like doing. Hang out with your mates, you know. You can do it there. The more that we see that nature is somewhere you can feel at home in, the more that we promote that, the more we can kind of move towards a future where everyone feels like they belong in nature. So rather foolishly, as I was digging the hole, I kind of flung the soil up onto these rocks. And so now it's, <laughs> it's all up between these, these large moss-covered rocks that are making this wall which is making it slightly difficult for me to get the soil back down onto the sapling, but there we go. I've also just stung myself with a singing nettle. <sighs> See, I'm just a city girl. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but we try and we learn.
The climate crisis, the environmental crisis can seem extremely intangible and abstract. And it seems like there's not much we can kind of do other than not doing things, you know, like not taking a flight, not eating meat. Whereas guerrilla gardening is something you can add. It's a positive, it's an action that you can take and you can immediately see the effect that you've made with your own two hands in the world, the positive effect. So I think there's the climate angle, but there's also the community side. So I have lived in Hackney all my life and I never really felt like I truly belonged there. I didn't feel like it was something that belonged to me or that I belonged to it until I started guerrilla gardening and I was having this visible impact on the space and interacting with the space and contributing to it. And then I did start to feel like it was a place that I belonged to and I was part of the community there and I feel that's something I've heard echoed through all the people that I've spoken to. sure there's enough around it. Um, so I'm just firming up the earth around the base of the sapling now to make sure it's nice and securely fastened. Won't be blowing away on us. And then we're gonna water it in nicely so that it gets what it needs to settle into its new home. And it's not too shocked at the move. It's always a bit stressful moving house. So let's try and reduce that for this little sapling. successfully rehomed the sapling and I'm feeling this was a brilliant way to spend the morning and I'm glad that I got to contribute something while I'm staying here so that I feel more a part of this space and like it's something we're sharing and it's lovely to come somewhere and feel like you can give back. I've come in as a guest to this very lovely very beautiful place on Dartmoor and I felt you know very much as an outsider visiting. But now that I've gotten stuck in and I have planted this sapling here and I've added to the hedgerow, and this will be here hopefully for decades, if not longer, you know, I feel like I've contributed something and I feel like I belong here more and I feel a bit more at ease and a bit more part of the place, I suppose. And I have become part of the place. It's nice to get your hands stuck into the dirt and to move something around. I'm feeling very joyful now having done that. That was Ellen Miles with a huge vision for changing the way we think about our relationship with nature. Amira Patel approached the same issue from a different starting point. Aware that she very rarely saw Muslims like her enjoying the UK's green spaces, she put a simple invitation to a walk on social media. Now she runs the group Wanderlust Women full-time, and an incredible number of people have her to thank for a newfound sense of adventure. Hi, Amira. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. So obviously you're famous now, let's say, let's say famous now for um, founding this incredible like, hiking and adventure group. But where did it begin for you personally? Like, What was your connection to the outdoors growing up? My mum basically took me on a hike um, and I really didn't want to go. And she literally just sort of like, come on, you need to come. And, you know, it was, I remember like, I thought I was climbing Mount Everest and I had like the wrong kit on and she kept telling me wear proper hiking boots. And I'm like, I'm not wearing those shoes. They don't look nice. And so I was a teenager. And um, after that, I sort of started to fall in love with it. But um, I think growing up, we um, travelled a lot and we were sort of exposed to seeing different countries and different sort of mountains and countryside and, I think that it was more sort of like sightseeing and like traveling in terms of like, you know, being adventurous. Um, 
I sort of picked it up from my mum and then I sort of found my own journey sort of like in my late 20s um, I went like backpacking in Europe and really enjoyed it. It's interesting that you think those are really different things traveling to the sort of adventure stuff. Back then traveling was getting on a plane going to a different country and doing all like you know seeing a different culture or being in a different place but I think with Covid then I realized actually there's, there's so much here in the UK to see. I sort of found my passion in traveling and doing these different things and then when covid came and i wasn't able to travel you know boris said one day one walk a day and that walk was like from morning till night um, <laughs> yeah nice yeah. Shaky, I like it. <laughs> and i found like a new version of myself that i didn't really know that i had and um you know i, I found the solo hiking i found um you know grounding meditation and then Something that I found which was really beautiful to me was how I connected with my faith in the outdoors. And I think that's when it really, really, really hit me that how much I was connected to to the landscape around me. Um, and then, yeah, COVID stuff just changed my whole perception. Like, I was like, what am I doing? Why am I in this job? And what is, you know, and then I sort of like had a whole reality change. And then that's when I founded the group because I realised, you know, there wasn't people who looked like me represented there was a whole lot of women that wanted to do stuff but they didn't have that sort of confidence to do it alone and yeah and I started the group and then from there it's it's, it just happened. Where do you think those barriers come from that kind of because I mean there is definitely a confidence issue but I think there are do you think there are other things societal issues that that make people feel like something isn't for them, like the outdoors isn't for them? Yeah because if you don't see if you don't see it then you're not going to feel like you can be it and if for however many years up until you know now if the representation hasn't been diverse or inclusive if they have not been able to see people look like them represented then they're going to feel like that that is not for them that is one of you know one of the biggest barriers is you know not seeing people look like you're represented and then I think after that it's you know it's things like you know you know not being brought up with doing a certain activity and you know um not knowing resources, education, yeah, and then, sure. you know, access to a lot of the places that, you know, these women are from, different, you know, are from areas like the inner city areas, so they've never actually left those areas. So, you know, going into a place where is unknown, you know, that can be a barrier. Kit can be a barrier. Transport can be a barrier. Mm. A lot of the times, you know, people are like, oh, but no one's saying, you know, um, you're, you're not welcome here. And our argument is that we're not saying that you're not saying we're welcome yeah. here. But the microaggressions are the physical barriers that are there are, yeah. you know, and then obviously if you're going into areas which is typically where you're not going to see anyone that looks like you, then, you know, that again is a barrier. So I think it's just having those, you know, those access to those things and having that gateway. And I think a group, like, you know, the groups that have emerged during lockdown have been so great because mm. they've been a gateway for the, for people. Did you go straight to the the group idea or did you kind of Shanghai a couple of friends first, like, right, you and you, come here. <laughs> Um, so initially, so five years ago, so I went through a divorce five years ago and um, I remember going for a walk and I I, I realised that I was like, there's there's not a, like a safe, I don't like saying safe space, but a space for women to get together. Yeah. A lot of the times people go to other things like partying or um, drugs, or alcohol or medication and coming from my faith where we don't do any of those things. I was like, there's no space for us to come together when we do go through something or when we've been through something traumatic or if we've been through a divorce or, you know, for single moms. And I think a lot of the times, you know, South Asian women do go through different things within their own community. So 
I just felt like there wasn't a space for us and I had this idea where I was like I would love to have a retreat and have like a space for women to get together and just you know go for walks and meditate and talk and do different things but you know obviously I was still really young then I was like 22 23 and you have these ideas but I didn't know how to put them out so when I did have that idea I just um like just with the locals I'd said that I'm gonna go for a walk if anyone wants to come come but it always ended up just being me my mom and my friend and we would just be the three of us hiking so when COVID came I reposted that poster that I made five years ago and said you know um a lot of you have asked you know if you can come walking I did used to do these walks back then so if you're interested and then I got so many messages and then I was like okay like why don't I just make a separate Instagram page and then yeah and then I sort of did that and then the next day I had so many messages and so many like brands contact me and people asking me wanting how to support this and I was like oh okay now what do we do (laughs) I was like oh my god this is a full-time job like how am I supposed to run this group and work and I remember like coming back from an adventure and a few hours later being in work and being absolutely exhausted and trying to fit in adventures like during this and literally ringing my manager in the morning think I can't come I'm like stuck in Scotland or something so yeah I was like okay I I need a career change and that's when I actually moved last year left my job and I, I moved to the Lake District. How does that feel then to be living it like every day just outdoors? Um it's you know it's I think for me it's been it's been really really good because I think I needed it more like I know my community needed it but I think I needed it for for my own sort of healing and growth and personal development and even now I've come back to where I'm originally from in Bolton and I literally feel claustrophobic I'm like where's the mountains where's the space why are there so many people traffic (laughs) and I'm like (laughs) so already I'm like you know I love that my family's here and I'm always like you guys need to come there but um it's just so different coming from a place where you see a mosque and a church and a temple and you see different types of people and then you go to a place where you see nothing at all. It's just one type of people that you see. So, yeah, there are those sort of challenges yeah. that we face. Yeah, and that that must be sort of something that's quite, feels quite big to go up against in a way. Yeah, and I think especially with, you know, after Black Lives Matter and a lot of the discrimination that a lot of communities face, which were raised... And I think, obviously, Islamophobia, racism and all these things that do sort of happen, you know, those things are something that you, mm. you know, you have in your mind. Um, and luckily, like, we've, I've been okay. Um, you know, you've had a few microaggressions and a few things here and there, but, you know, we've been really welcomed and stuff. But that's not always the case. Do you mind me asking what sort of things you're talking about? So um, it could be different things. So, um, you know, there's there's different hate crimes that are out there for people who look different. You know, some of the things that we face, especially as Muslim women, are go back to your country and you, you don't belong here. We don't see women like you here. You know, you belong at home and things like that. And then, like, for me, constantly I'll get asked, oh, do you know where you're going? Or they'll try to speak to me in, like, you know, slow English as if I don't understand. <laughs> or ask me, like, if I know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, you, you, you shouldn't be wearing that when you're hiking and it's not safe. And just, you know, comments like that. When people are coming to the group walks and to the events, is that the main thing they're talking about? Or is it the, I didn't think I would even enjoy it. Are they like you? I thought hiking, you know, the old you, I thought hiking would be horrible and cold. I wouldn't like it. You must get so many different people sort of coming from different aspects and all finding that same sort of relief and solace. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I created this group, it was 
at the beginning it was just you know a group for people to go walking but now it's not a group we're a community like we've become a tribe and we all support each other it's like a sisterhood and mm. a lot of the times these women come because they're seeking something just like how I was seeking something or um they're searching for you know, their purpose and I think coming from uh, like a faith like mine where you know we're constantly being mindful and grateful and we're connecting to God sometimes you know they can be lost or they're going through something themselves or you know they were hikers and they didn't have anyone to go with or they want to find this adventure in them and I swear every single person that comes they go back different like they come and there's like the buttons being pressed like how mine was and then they you know they started doing their own stuff formed their own groups and some of the women you know they, they cry when they come to these places because they just didn't know these places existed and I receive so many beautiful messages you know every day which you know I wish I could respond to but you know there's so many and um, you know they do make me happy because you know the main thing is that it's not the more the hike is the feeling that they get when they are connected to wherever they're connected to whether it's the water the air or the mountains or wherever it is and they all go back different it's really great to see so obviously um it's been so popular and you've got you've done this amazing thing for loads of people what's the key for you to, to getting more people involved to getting everyone out there I think everyone's adventure is their own and it's how they make it. Even if it's you walking around your local park or even if it's just you getting out and going to a green space. And I think what I say to everyone now, it's not about the summit. It's not about how many mountains you climb. It's not about how fast you climb. It's not about how many peaks you can do or you know whatever it is. It's about how you've connected in that time with the space around you. And I always say to everyone that, you know, like, it's all good and fair, you know, you want to, you know, do all this. But if you've gone there and you ha- you've not literally been still with yourself and you've not connected with the space around you, what was the point of you going out to connect? And I always say that walking is like a type of meditation, just when you're going out to use all your senses. And when you do that, that walk will be so different to like any other walk because we're so fast paced already. And we're always working, living on the phone, families, you know, repeat cycle and we're doing that. And we don't have that chance just to be still. Yeah. We had our first Ramadan event in the Lake District two weeks ago now. And we had Muslims, non-Muslims, people of faith, people of not faith. We had the local communities as well as the outdoor community to come in to see what it's about and what we do. And when we were praying, those who didn't have a faith were sat watching. But they were, we were all connecting in the same way because they were still, we were still, we were praying they were doing you know just being in the moment but for that for that five minutes everyone was just still and it was just the mountains the water running and if you look back that is the reason why we all go out because it's it's them moments where we just you know connect for literally even if it's a minute um so now like yeah my views are so different to what it was like before and I went to the Alps and um I think I was literally like maybe half an hour from the summit but I was so tired and altitude was getting to me and and I sat there and I thought you know I'm just going to meditate instead and honestly I felt so much better because I was getting um, that was my first time doing like a hike like that as well and if it was two years ago I would have been really bothered that I didn't you know get to the summit but for me now it was like I did get to the summit but I enjoyed the moment that I was hiking so I think yeah that perspective sort of thing is really important. I don't know where exactly the the Ramadan event was but was that a particular favorite place and have you got a spot you've discovered since you've been in the lakes that's your absolute 
number one. Yeah, so that spot is like, is, I call it my back garden because it's literally like our back garden. So that is one of my favourite spots. Um, the drive itself to get there is so beautiful because you're driving along the, the countryside road and you've got Old's Water on your left-hand side, which is the most stunning lake in the Lake District. And then as soon as you're driving, you've got all the fells just in open eye, and especially in the winter when it's snow-capped. It's just so beautiful. And one of the main mountains called Helvellyn is situated here um, and it's in the area of Glenridding, which is a really lovely little village. And as soon as you park there, there's so many different routes. And um, I remember like doing my first hike there um, and it was completely dark and I was going up to Helvellyn and um, it's such a beautiful climb. And then you have like this ridge that you walk on and it was sunrise and the whole sky was just orange. I used to see so many photos of people doing this hike and I was like, am I going to be able to do it? Because it's a ridge. and and But it was so stunning. And then since then, I actually, I fell, I literally fell in love with the mountain. So, you know, whenever I want to go for a solo hike, I sort of just go to this spot. And it's one of them where you don't even have to climb up to Helvellyn because you've got like Glenridding Dodd, which is another little fell next to it. And then you've got like another fell called Sheffield Pike. And they all have views of Oldswater. And it's just so stunning. And I remember when it was, because um, it's our Ramadan season at the minute, so we, we don't know when Ramadan's going to start because it all depends on the moon. So I was actually going up to Helvellyn and it was a beautiful day and um, my friend texted me saying that actually it was coming towards sunset and she was like, Ramadan's going to start today. And I was like, oh no. Like, and I was like, and actually I was like, I had my prayer mat with me and I remember I didn't, so I thought I'm not going to climb up to Helvellyn now because I need to go home to pray. You know, so our day starts in the evening, so at sunset time. So as soon as the sun would set, then that would be, that's the first day of Ramadan. So I remember just sitting there with my prayer mat and you can see the lake, Old's Water, like the sky was again, really beautiful, mountains in the back. And then like Ramadan, obviously the sunset and it started. And it was the most beautiful feeling ever because I was like, oh my gosh, I've started my holy month in the mountains where, where I love. And so when I, when I was doing um, the Ramadan event, when I wanted to invite everyone, I was like, I want to take everyone to this spot where I started because it was just so beautiful. It all sort of holds a special place, especially, especially now. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. Well, I hope that between Ellen and Amira, you're inspired not just to enjoy and appreciate the outdoors yourself, but to think about how you can enable others to do so as well. You could help Ellen lobby the UN, join Amira for a walk, found a local group of your own, or just grab someone you think needs a bit of fresh air and drag them out with you. They'll definitely thank you for it, eventually. Remember to like, review, and follow us in your podcast app for the rest of Series 2, and we'll see you outside again soon. Life More Wild is an 1860 production, brought to you by Canopy and Stars. The producers for this episode were Eliza Lomas, Fiona Clampin, and Gareth Evans, and our theme music is by Billy Martin. Follow the links in the episode notes for more information on our guests or how to get outdoors with Canopy and Stars. 